This Week at Hope Point. If you look at the one word that's used most repetitively in these verses in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, it is the word stand. Like you say, I need a strategy for today. Here it is. Stand. What does it mean to stand? Because let me tell you, when you're in the middle of conflict, the last thing that you're thinking about doing is, I don't have any strength in my legs to stand, and I'm being commanded to stand. What does it mean? Stand. I can't. You can if you think about it this way. Think about stand in the context of just stay put. Like at your guard. Or negatively, don't run. Don't flee. Don't try to figure this out by getting away from your problem. Stand. Stay. And wait on God. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. Well, many of you have asked since uh, I have been in the process of returning here, teaching, you know, what did I think about would be our destiny with a return back at the book of Revelation. And I still don't know that answer. It has obviously been the most difficult book I've ever taught in my life. And that was on my very good days. And so now I open it up every week and see if mentally I'm ready for such uh, mental vigor. I'm not ready. So Thank you for your patience. And so when it comes to moments like this, I'm not teaching on Revelation where we were. I'm asking God each week, what do you want me to do that's not that? And I'm grateful for Isaiah 53 at Easter, Luke 5 last week. I'm loving these detours. And so I asked God this week, I said, what's it to be? And I think that his answer is, he wanted me to speak this morning on spiritual warfare And if that's a new topic for you, uh, we'll define it. Not necessarily my definition's not the right one, best one, but it'll be a working one for today. Spiritual warfare is the continual effort of evil, intelligent, demonic beings to so damage a Christian's hope that he abandons the call to love and serve Christ. So that's what I decided to preach on today, and here's how I got there. Five providences in my life, all of which used the word warfare that said, I think that's for today. It began last week. I came home from work, maybe Thursday, again, mentally a little sluggish, foggy, trying to go do what I think I should do, but not having a very successful day at it, walked in and as soon as I got in the house, Lisa says, hello, my warrior. And that's not what she often calls me. <laughs> then the next day, we get a text from somebody in our small group on what it means to be a spiritual warrior. They had no idea what Lisa had said, what I was thinking about. Just God's providence. And this is what the text said. The marking of a true warrior is not their scars in battle, but the continual strength God gives them. True warriors do not quit. They're not driven by fear. They're driven by righteous purposes and the pursuit of the one their soul loves. So that was providence number two that said, maybe this week will be out warfare. Providence number three. I took my 
chainsaw to Bullis Hardware to, to get it fixed, uh, to get a new chain on it. And Bullis Hardware is a place where men go with their machines. <laughs> men like David who wear a great mustache. And the reason I said that it means nothing to you, but I know his wife hates it. And she says, don't encourage him to keep wearing it. David, I love your mustache. <laughs> Bullis Hardware is a place where men go with mustaches and out mustaches to get their chainsaws fixed. And as I was walking in, a guy, a friend that I hadn't seen three or four years from my back said, hey, Richard. I turned around, it was Gary. And he says, I've been praying for you. He prays with George Browning here at this church every week for years for the church, for the ministry, for elders, for the staff. So I've been praying for you. I said, yeah, bro. I said, I've been really sick, affected a lot of things that I didn't know sepsis could affect. And he looked at me, he said, I appreciate you giving some credit to illness, but I think there's more at work in your life than just being sick. Brother, I think it's spiritual warfare. Oh, I thought this was about chainsaws. So that was providence number three that said, maybe I should talk on warfare. Providence number four occurred after last week's service. When I'm finished teaching today, to my left, no, to your left, to my right, to your left, there is a prayer team. They would love to pray with you hard. I know for you to leave your seat. Should I tell every people, everybody, the time somebody does it, they love it. They just want to pray with you if you have a need. Well, when we got to the end of the service, I was sitting on the front row and and the last song that we sang last week, probably the name Jesus was repeated, I bet, 25 times in the song. I was just like saturated with the name Jesus. And the guy that was there as a counselor said, Richard, I just want to let you know that a church cannot sing the name of Jesus so much and so strongly and cannot be engaged in witnessing with the Who's Your One campaign without this church being on the end of spiritual warfare. He said, so get ready. Didn't really know what that meant, but was also helping me to get ready for the fifth way in which God spoke to me this week, the hard way, the hardest way in life to, for God to speak, and it was, it was through, through death. Uh, this young man, Jackson Foringer, came out of our student ministry and uh, went to Paris Island and became a tough Marine and was stationed in California. And there was a military accident this week and, and he is with the Lord. The only reason I, I got to know Jackson was because of all the investment of time that Dan Vognes, our former student pastor, now community pastor, had poured into him. And through that, he introduced me to, to Jackson. And so there were several Sundays where Jackson wanted to remain after the service and talk. And I ate up everything that he, as a tough Marine, yearning to grow in the Lord in the middle of the service, not having really any fellowship with any other Marines, I just ate up his courage and ate up his loyalty to Christ in a very harsh environment. So when Dan texted me this week that, that Jackson was with the Lord, just spontaneously I texted back to Dan and I just wanted to share with you the, the, the thought that was on my mind. I wrote down, I said, Jackson was a true soldier. He lived with the threat of danger every day. Yet he did not walk in fear. 
Instead, he sought to keep his heart close to God in all things as he did. He longed to be a soldier. He yearned to be a disciple. And he accomplished both. He never wavered in the core. And I thought when I wrote that, that is a statement that should be made about all of us. Every one of us has this dual calling. We are a disciple of Christ and a soldier of Christ. When you said yes to God, that day you entered a war. So we do have peace with God, and that's hallelujah. But because you have peace with God, you are from that moment on at war with Satan. I want to read to you the primary passage in the Bible that speaks about that. And I want to read to you all the verses because just in case from this point on I muck it up and don't really say that much, all you need to do is remember these verses because they're that good. And I think you need to hear them all in one package. I know some of you really need to hear it to make sense of what's going on in your life. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the blessed breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. I love how Paul ends that. It's not really part of my message. It certainly wasn't part of anything I said in the first service. But his prayer that he would be fearless. People ask, you know, why do I teach the way I do? There's really one example. You are sort of important, but not nearly as important as our students, especially our high school students. I want them to see what a fearless man looks like because fearless men are not easy to find anymore. So I want, to, I want you to pray for me that I would be fearless so students could see courage in all of us 
So when they go off to all their places, they could know what it was like. A model of, of fearlessness. And that's not a natural ability for me. It will come through your, your prayers. You know, when you read a passage like this in Ephesians 6, you could pick out any of the verses. I just chose to pick that one out of all that we just read. You can hear the response of the world almost raised eyebrow, a little bit of mocking, and maybe some outright laughter. You really believe in devils, demons, intelligent, dark, demonic, spiritual, powerful beings that work against the believer's life. You believe in that? And the world will say, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. It's amazing how people do and don't believe in that. They don't because you read a passage like that and it looks a little out there and then all of a sudden you get three precious children gunned down in an elementary school in Tennessee by a boy with a gun that just wants to go kill people and it's like all of the world begins to say, no, that's evil. It's demonic. We look at other disasters that are large in scale where people have outrageous outbursts of anger and violence and all of a sudden then we say, well, yeah, I think I do believe in evil. It does exist. I think many people in the, in the church are still trying to decide whether or not they really believe in the presence of intelligent, powerful, dark, demonic forces working against their, their faith. It's amazing when people say, I don't really believe in it, but the mo some of the most popular movies that have ever been produced are movies about spiritual warfare that the world eats up. You can look at The Exorcist or The Omen or the movie that's out now that's showing now Nefarious about this conversation about this unbelievable dark man who committed heinous crimes on death row and the whole movie is about whether or not he's is he crazy or is he demon-possessed? We believe the latter, of course. Satan is at his best. Let me read that again. Satan is at his best when he convinces people to believe that he does not exist. The Apostle Paul thought, thought that the whole universe was a battleground. For Paul, it was very clear. You were either at peace with God and therefore at war with the devil, or you were at peace with the devil and at war with God. But to live somewhere where a battle doesn't exist is not possible in the mind of Paul. The whole universe is a battleground. Just got to decide whose side you're on. And when I talk about these things out of Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and intelligent, dark, demonic, powerful beings that work to create doubt and hopelessness in your soul to knock you out of your race to pursue the will of God in Christ, we don't do that to stir up controversy, and certainly not fear, 
If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, believing in the blood of Jesus and his resurrection from the grave, that he's the only savior of the world because of that, if you've placed your faith in him, there is no reason to be afraid of powers of darkness. That's made clear about one of the disciples of Jesus named John who said in 1 John 4, a letter to the church, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. So listen, yes, Satan can derail you. He can persuade you to abandon the call of God on your life but he cannot touch your soul. Jesus made this clear in John 10. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. It's a very comforting verse. Jesus has just talked about little sheep, little lambs, helpless, He was their shepherd and he said, no one is touching those that I've chosen. Never can anybody snatch them out of my hand. So this is the foundation from which we start when we talk about spiritual warfare. We do not start in a place of fear. So I don't teach on this to make you afraid. I teach on this to make you prepared, cautious, and equipped. So you'll be a good soldier. People have asked me anytime I speak on spiritual warfare, Richard, have you ever encountered a demon? Have you ever encountered demonic power? Have you ever heard a demon or seen a demon? And that answer is yes on four occasions. I've been a pastor for 37 years. I don't think it would benefit this group at all. I don't think it moves us forward in the text for me to tell you about my experiences, but four unmistakable encounters. You know, the attitude of so many people is, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to talk about it, and therefore it doesn't exist. That's really not a great strategy. (laughs) The Westminster Catechism says that The powers of darkness are continual and irreconcilable until we die. That is, the war is not going to be over. And we can't get out of this battle. The only thing is, you're going to either be a good soldier or a bad soldier. You're either going to be ready and you're engaged, or you're just going to run and say, I'm going to go build a palace of safety so I'll never have to think about anything hard while your fellow brothers and sisters all around the world are going through hard things. No, I, look at me, I built this bubble. I'm safe and my family's safe and that's all I want is safety. You could do that or you could be engaged in battle and help people that are hurting and rescue people from the world that you don't want them to be captured by this evil one. You know, you can read a passage like on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 and say, well, that's just 
people do this all the time. They sort of divide the New Testament. You know, I'm into what Jesus said, not what Paul said. And, well, you can say, well, this is Ephesians 6. It's just a little tiny, uh, angry, lunatic, liberal, Jewish man that's going on and on about demons. Well, I guess you could say that if he were the only one that talked about them. But we were first introduced to this warfare strategy from the Lord Jesus Christ himself when the disciples came to him and said, Master, would you teach us how to pray? He said, make sure you include this line in your prayers every day. Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then look at the life of Christ. 30 years, he grows up driving nails and boards with his dad, Joseph. And then at age 30, leaves the carpenter shop to become an itinerant evangelist. For three years as he launches his messianic ministry, bringing salvation to the world. And he begins that by standing in the Jordan River, filled with sinners that are dirtier than the water itself. And in the middle of them, Jesus Christ is making a statement. I am with you, sinful world. I've come to save you. And that's the day his ministry was launched. And what happened as soon as he declared his allegiance to God and his messianic ministry. Temptation. Mark 1, 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and the angels attended him. I just want you to look at the pattern of Jesus so that you'll not be confused to understand that if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to you who follow Jesus. It is your faith in Jesus Christ that has brought you into this spiritual war. Things would be different had you said no to him. You wouldn't be facing that spiritual conflict at its level that you are. But there are powerful, intelligent, evil, dark beings that are seeking to destroy your devotion to God by harassing you and implanting doubt and distraction in you because you are part now of Christ. You remember, there was a time when you weren't part of Jesus and you didn't have this kind of conflict. You remember what that was like? So you could do this. You were, you lived, you lived to constantly cross God's law, your whole nature was bent towards sin. You used to live in sin. You got up thinking about how to sin. Couldn't wait for the weekend. How can I sin? And you followed the way you loved the world. If the world told you this is the way we're gonna disobey God this weekend, that's what you wanted to do. And the ruler of the world, which is Satan, he was your God. This is Ephesians 2, what we were like before we said yes to Christ. And so we were filled not with the Holy Spirit, we were filled with the spirit of evil. This is the old us. And all we lived was for disobedience. 
And all we did was gratify the cravings of our flesh. It's all we could do. Whatever the flesh wanted, flesh said do it, we did it. The Lord of our life was our body. Flesh, flesh, flesh. And then look what happened. But, because of this great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And from that day on, when you left the domain of Satan and God raised you up to live with Christ, from that day on, you entered this war. And that's why it's so hard. You were known in hell as someone who left his camp. And because of the plans that God has for your life, you are pursued by the same devil that pursued Christ. You know, I think about this pursuit of Satan to just bring chaos everywhere. And I think about our church, such a glorious, interesting year. As we were in the book of Revelation, the, the, the most direct book of the Bible that exposes the corruption of our culture, the corruption of the state, the corruption of the government, the corruption of false teachers and false churches. It just like we were a year in that book shining light on darkness and then bam! I went down hard for the count. And I look at all of these ministries, if you came here on Monday and Tuesday night and you just see a hundred, over a hundred more, maybe 150, you see internationals coming to learn English and to learn of Christ, all sorts of Bible studies, men's and women's throughout the week and ever so often, you don't want to blame everything on Satan, you don't want to see him under every bush and you don't want to say that I don't have any responsibility, that nothing could be my fault and my flaws and my sin. It could be. But you have to ever so often say there is spiritual warfare that could be at work explaining some of the hardships that go on in your life and in this church. You know, it's interesting how this whole passage starts when Paul begins in verse 10, and Mary conclude with verse 20, of trying to explain to us, you know, all of this warfare stuff. And he starts with, in verse 10, he starts with the word finally. Now, if you're familiar, if you've been in church for a long time, you don't say this is a scary word for when most preachers say finally, it means they're about to keep speaking for another half hour. So you look at what Paul means by finally. Well, it's interesting where that finally comes because it almost looks like he started a new subject. And he said, no, 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 I didn't. He had just spent the entire book, five chapters, talking about what unity in the church should look like, what love in marriage should look like, what order in the household between parents and children should look like, what attitudes at work from Christians to their employers and likewise and conversely, employers to their employees, what all of this should look like. I mean, it almost covers all of what we're engaged in. 
And then he goes from there and talking about spiritual warfare. And you say, why did you change subjects? Why did you shift gears? And he said, I didn't. I want you to know why these previous five areas you're having so much difficulty in. It's not random pain in your marriage. It's not a random pain in your parenting. These are not random pains in the church. It is the result of the work of intelligent, dark, evil, spiritual beings who are seeking to destabilize your life and bring crippling chaos into your heart and your mind and your body. He is at work. Say it like this. Spiritual warfare is not evidence that you are failing in your walk with God, but rather that your faith is growing, effective, and worth the efforts of demons to interfere with. Lisa and I went to a, a concert this week. Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I don't know if you, you probably, most of you would not know of them because they're, I really, as I was watching the concert, I felt like I was watching a bunch of grandpas play the guitar. These guys have been around making, making records for 35 years. And they came and just did a favor for the Crisis Pregnancy Carolina Pregnancy Center as part of the fundraiser. And they said, we'll supply the music. And I'm so glad they did. I haven't really heard them in so long. And so I thought I knew all their music. But they sang a song that night that just spoke to my heart. I'll share just some lyrics with you. They sang, there is a God who's never left me and he's here in the hurting. You're still with me. You have carried me this far and you won't stop now. Oh, there is a God who sees my sorrow, catches my tears in a bottle. You're still working even when I can't see how. This is why Paul, driven by the Holy Spirit, wrote this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 so that when spiritual warfare and conflict and combat comes into your life, you will not think God has left you and that something is wrong, but likely you are in the center of God's will. And that intelligent, evil, dark, demonic beings are trying to stop your hope in Christ and derail your mission for God. If you read the passage from verse 10 through verse 20, it's, and you, if you were the, a sort of an outline kind of guy, the, the big outline would be Paul, like this. Paul says, I'm going to tell you about the struggle in the Christian life, and then I'm going to tell you about the strategies of the Christian life. And I'll just skip down to verse 12 just so you could see the struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Struggle. Come from the Greek word which means to wrestle. The Greek word means to engage in hand-to-hand combat. Of all sports, probably couldn't find a sport where people are more closely in combat than wrestling. Is that right, Brian? <laughs> Just like right on top of each other. And so when you think you feel this oppression 
and it feels like evil has gripped you. It has. It's that close. It's a wrestling match. You ever been somewhere and you think, and all of a sudden it's just, you know, you're just minding your own business and all of a sudden your head is filled with the most wicked and disgusting thought. Like, you didn't invite it. I mean, it might be a disgusting thought. It might be a fearful thought. But all of a sudden, it's like, it just... And it's just that whisper of darkness trying to bring you down. Maybe making you think of a, a sin when you committed when you were 16 years old. Just paralyzing you with guilt. That's what he does. That's what those powers do. Trying to stop you. Last Sunday after I preached on Luke chapter 5, that whole theme of let's keep casting out the net when Jesus says, cast your net out. Even when you're tired, do it again, Peter. Do it again, Richard. Do it again, John. Cast your net out. Well, um, two days later, I get a text from our orphanage director in, in India. And uh, he wrote me, and he's also in charge of a church planting network too. And I've met many of his pastor friends uh, as we've done pastor's conferences at the orphanage. But he texted me and said, Pastor, thank you so much for... He said... He called it... He said, I saw the reel on the web. I really don't, I think that's what young people call sermon clips or whatever, reels. I thought it was cool, the reel. He said, and I was discouraged this week and I I was experiencing spiritual warfare and I didn't want to cast the net out anymore and I saw the reel from Hope Point and I just want to let you know I'm going to cast the net out again this week. So I said, Joseph, I'm just curious what was the discouragement in your life? He said, well, it was two horrible things that happened over the weekend. He said, one of the pastors that you know that comes to the pastor's conference was, was hit by a truck on his motorcycle. He's lost his life and left a, a widow and two children. And he was already dirt poor, one of our poorer pastors, one of our poorer communities. And really the only gospel witness in that village and then he said, and then I went to the nearest village where we have our most active work, where we sometimes share in Christmas programs. And he said, there's a home in that village that has opened their doors to me because they love for me to come and pray with them, even though they're Hindu. They're not believers, but they like prayer. And so they've invited me in for a, a while now. He said, but in the past few weeks, Hindu fanatics have surrounded their house and have come and told the man, don't ever invite the pastor from the orphanage again or you'll be harmed. And so that dear family came to Joseph and said, you can't come back to our house. So now he's, he's out of that village as well. And so he's, he was discouraged and 
I'm telling you, there, is, there are real, intelligent, dark, demonic, powerful beings that do not want the gospel of Jesus Christ in those villages in India. And if we don't understand this in the concept of spiritual warfare, we'll just be all discouraged and not go back. But if you understand you're in the middle of war and soldiers fight, they go back. They find a way to keep going back. So that's the struggle. Uh, and then the rest of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is the strategy and I knew I was going to have too much to speak to you this morning. And I knew that the clock was going to go from white to red, which means you're done. So we'll do some more next week about the strategy. But I just want to tell you, if you could pick one strategy out of all that's listed in the, in the verses that we covered that I haven't taught on, I just want to cover one strategy and we'll be done with this. So this is a true finally. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. If you look at the one word that's used most repetitively in these verses in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, it is the word stand. Like you say, I need a strategy for today. Here it is. Stand. I normally name my sermons on Saturday night, give them a little title, or early Sunday morning, because I don't really know exactly where it's going until then. So then either, so last night I said, I can't think of a title. And my wife said, well, it looks like you're probably going to have too much material. So just call it stand. And then you'll know to go to the end of the sermon and get to the word stand. I said, okay, so this is, she's not here today. She's with her father in the hospital. So, but Appreciate that wisdom. So we're just going to look at stand. What does it mean to stand? Because let me tell you, when you're in the middle of conflict, the last thing that you're thinking about doing is, I don't have any strength in my legs to stand, and I'm being commanded to stand. What does he mean, stand? I can't. You can if you think about it this way. Think about stand in the context of just stay put, like at your guard, or negatively, don't run, don't flee, don't try to figure this out by getting away from your problem, stand, stay, and wait on God. Stay right where you are in your weakness and wait on God, but trust Him and not your running Stand. One more story about the concert Thursday night with all the old people, of which I was one. So we were there, and everybody knew they're playing music, but you're really going there to write a check for the Carolina Pregnancy Center. Everybody knows that. So it's a fundraiser. Nobody told me there's going to be an altar call where I got to deal with my heart. No, I'm here to write a check for Carolina Pregnancy Center. Well, they get to the end of the playing, and one of the guys from Phillips, Craig, and Dean, I guess it was one, it's either Phillips, Craig, or Dean. I don't know which one. <laughs> I know it's one of them. He said, you may came here tonight to hear about how the CPC is caring for pregnant women in crisis 
their boyfriends or their husbands and their little babies in their wombs. That's what you came here for. But maybe God brought you here for another reason and you're just hurting. He said, before we play, before we go, if you're here tonight and you have a need and you're hurting outside of why you came here tonight, wherever you are right now, would you just stand? And I'm like, uh-oh. Like, I know God's talking to me, but I'm on row five at auditorium. There's 45 rows behind me. And everybody in this city knows I'm a pastor of this church. And they're all going to know I got problems. <laughs> I'm weak. I'm hurting. So I sit there and go, nope. <laughs> I'm going to protect my ego. God can hear my prayer while I'm sitting. And God said, I could do that if I told you to sit. But I'm telling you to stand. He said, in my spirit is what I heard. I didn't ask you to sing. I didn't ask you to preach. I didn't even ask you to come on stage and pray. I'm asking you to do one thing for a bloody Savior who rose from the dead and has a purpose for your life. Would you, for the sake of Jesus, stand? Because he would stand for you. Here I am. I stood. And I declared in my standing, God, I need you to help me. And his response is he did. He did. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.